Hello, welcome back to Building Sustainability. Uh, this is podcast number seven. Uh, so today's podcast is with B Rowan. Uh, and before we give you a little intro to, to B Rowan, uh, we're just going to have a little chat about some of the stuff that's going on here on uh, Heartwind Land. So if you just want to get straight to the interview, uh, skip forward to minute five. Excellently done. Yeah, I'm just going to edit that back in. Not, it won't like a, sound like a completely like <laughs> drop shipped in. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, so big exciting news at Hartwin this week is that we've just announced our winter courses. So these are five day courses, uh, intensive courses. Yeah. Uh, with classroom sessions and practical sessions and just aiming to give people a, a good understanding of natural building. Pretty much if uh, if you were the sort of person who wanted to build a house and you couldn't come on one of our wonderful residential courses, then this is exactly the sort of course you want to come on. Mm. Give you all the information you need, a bit of a practical hands-on approach. Yeah, it's going to be pretty thorough, pretty intense. Five days, bosh, information. Yeah. So uh, these will be happening, uh, one in Lancaster and one in Bristol. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of this year, October, November-ish. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a few details to finalise. Um, but yeah, if you look at the website, you can go and have a look, find some information. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll be releasing actual dates and costs and all of that other information uh, as soon as we can. Yes, <laughs> along with all the other things we've yeah. got to do. <laughs> uh, so on site at the moment... Uh, where are we at? We've got a roof on. Yeah, it's progress a city. Well, we should have. Well, we sort of had a roof on for the last month. Did we? But the the metal roofing has finally arrived and uh, is on, and we're watertight. Yeah, that's very very nice. Uh, we should start clay plaster tomorrow. Yeah, looking um, forward to that. So that's dead good. Yeah, there's all sorts of amazing wood fiber details and insulation and. Mm. Uh, we get some windows later in the week yes some lovely uh handcrafted oak windows yeah and new this season air tightness tape air tightness thank you judith yeah so if you haven't heard uh episode number six i think with... five number six is noel yep no you're right <laughs> uh if you haven't heard that episode then uh yeah i recommend you do I think that's about it for for us, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good enough update. Yes. Um, so do check out our Heartwind Builds is our Instagram. Yeah, lovely pictures. Yeah, that's a good one. And then, yeah, check out our, our weekly student blog, mm. which is on our website. Um, give you a bit of an insight into the student experience and keep you up to date with where we're at. Um, that's going really well. Yeah, I think anyone building their own home would probably do well to read that as well. Because yeah. it's sort of highlights all the different steps that that get taken and uh yeah good info excellent uh so to today's podcast it is b rowan as we said so b rowan has always been uh as far long as i've been on the the natural building uh scene uh she's been one of the top uk uh strawberry builders i think she said she's got 20 years experience yeah that's about when i first became aware of her yeah yeah so, uh, yeah, I've always known her as that. And, uh, yeah, during this, this podcast, she, she released a couple of little interesting nuggets about her former life. 
But yeah, it's it's really it's it's an interesting chat because it's sort of three parts. Uh, the first very much focuses on uh, EcoCocon, which is a, a panel straw panel building system. The second third is uh, about B and about her background, um, and yeah, really really interesting journey that she's she's been on. Uh, to get to where she is and then the final third is uh, about clay and lime stabilizing clay and the work that b has done out in pakistan and nepal with uh yeah disaster relief um yeah super super fascinating stuff it should be noted that this uh, podcast was recorded on our build site in the morning. So uh, there is a bit of background chatter as people get ready in the morning. Uh, and then you can hear the faint clinks of the scaffold being erected. Uh, and there's a bit of wind. Uh, but there's also lovely little bird song and yeah, yeah, nice things. So hopefully that's not too distracting for you. Uh, we'll see you at the end. Thank you. Bye. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box, and if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thank you very much for, for coming and having a chat with us. Oh, pleasure, Jeffrey. Real pleasure. Um, so yes, we, um, we met up at CAP last weekend for Earth Building, uh, UK and Ireland's Clayfest and, uh, and realized that we were building, uh, right next door to, to one of your clients. Oh, that's right. That's right. Fantastic. That's how it, how yeah. it, so, so I'm sat here now on your building site, which is absolutely beautiful. All your students around. I mean, I'm really, I'm so excited for your students to get such a brilliant experience of building a house from from scratch mm. all the way through what a brilliant opportunity 
And it's right next door, pretty much 20 minutes drive, hour cycle. Yeah. To the to a very large Ikokokon uh, straw panel house, mm. which is stunning and um, just a, another way of working with straw to the way in which your students are going to be working. Yes. So they're working the two string, the traditional two string straw bell technique, and which is what I've worked with for mm-hmm. over twenty years. I love it. Is so appropriate for many situations, but today, you know, we've got this climate catastrophe going on that we're all super aware of. And you know, in our on our little island alone, we have a a carbon uh, carbon reduction quota, which we're not going anywhere near. We no, have a housing we'll, we'll crisis. Miss. We have lack of affordable housing, etc. And two string bales, although I'm totally in love with them still, all these years on, mm-hmm. not change mainstream construction practices it's not going to make it so panels are a potential way in there yes the the two string is is sort of ideal for for self-builders you know maybe one at a time but as soon as you're talking volume and um, that's right so prefab prefabricated mm -hmm. in factory um with straw with such a sustainable material Mm. annually renewable etc great thermal efficiency properties, etc., uh, etc. Et These, I actually believe, can decarbonize construction at scale. Mm. You know, we can meet all the requirements in this small island, definitely. For instance, we, we produce, these are government figures, 24 million tonnes of surplus straw every year right. after burning, after carrots, after mushrooms, after digging back a certain quota. Yeah. That's a huge amount. And many years ago, we calculated we could be building close to half a million straw bale, two-story, three-bed houses. Super efficient, super healthy. Unbelievable. Now, you just you just kind of translate that into prefabricated panels built mm. in factory. Having a store, a ready store of these. These, these they can go up so quickly. This huge yes. 200 and, what was it? It's... About 230 square meter house that we had a look at yesterday, two story that went up in two days. So it's two days. The small oh. crew. Yeah. Um, three of us with um, a crane and a, a crane driver and a slinger. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's fantastic. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, so even with our weather constraints for natural materials on, on this island, that's yeah. very, very doable. Oh, yes. And the, the panel thing is something I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of now in conventional construction. So just yes. uh, by my, my workshop in, in Bristol, at the end of the road, they're building some student houses and it was all prefabricated yes. panels. You know, I, I would dread to think what was what was in them. But um, yeah, the, the speed at which they built just a little housing estate was, was pretty, almost frightening. Um, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Our construction industry, they're, they're trained, we are trained to... Um, to be modular to some extent mm-hmm. um everything is certain sizes everything slots together and that speed efficiency money 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 mm-hmm. you know that's what people work with so having to develop a relationship with a natural material the way that we do on self-build sites yeah you know with a two-string bale they're all different to each other with the clay plasters etc that doesn't fit it doesn't fit the modern construction uh time is money yes uh you know bag of something off the shelf Mm-hmm. Add this much water, bang! Yeah, same done. every you don't time. Have to think it's it same same. That's right. This is this is what we have to do with natural materials. We have to make them 
fit that kind of model to some extent. And uh, the modular system of, of, of straw is very, very exciting. Mm. So although we are, as, a, as an island, you know, producing more different options, I suppose, of um, prefab panels and sips, the thing about the straw is we, we still, we're still utilising all those fantastic properties of straw. We are locking up carbon. Mm -hmm. We are sequestering that carbon. You know, we are not producing a higher carbon footprint through insulating our panels with something manufactured that that will kick out pollution and a high carbon footprint. I mean, currently, uh, conventional building houses they actually create fifty tons of irrecoverable carbon yeah. kicked out into the atmosphere. That's an average. That's absolutely That's unsustainable. You just translate that into a straw house and we are sequestering that instead we have a, a better than carbon zero footprint this is stunning you know for the lifetime of that building you know we're capturing all of that in the walls of the building mm. and at the same time those walls are offering fantastic thermal efficiency and a healthy internal environment for the for the, the life of that building so these panel buildings or strawberry buildings it's not just an investment um you know, in, t in terms of thermal efficiency over yeah. the lifetime of the building, because as obviously as energy costs go up, uh, we we keep you know we keep our our, our load low in mm -hmm. those buildings, but it's also an investment in health. These are really healthy, healthy houses, and I love that. You know, so I don't just want to see affordable housing develop on this planet. I want to see um, healthy, affordable housing. Yeah, and and a, of materials that will not increase the carbon footprint and environmental burden that our construction industry is currently responsible for it's a solution yeah you know i call these panel buildings um but not just a, a great option for construction at scale but also for what i call the uber busy self-builder because mm -hmm. there's very there's very little traditional self-builders around these days because of actual people that pick up the, the tools and build and it build all. the house themselves because you need time mm. and resources and we've shifted, you know, we've shifted very much into very time conscious, busy, 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 busy world. Um, very few people now have the luxury mm -hmm. of that, that quantity of time and uh, maybe access to a whole community of people that actually want to roll up their sleeves and help them. Yes. We've lost touch with how we used to build. We're not communities really anymore. Mm. And traditionally, we the whole community would mucking together and help each other build a house that's interesting uh, so one of our neighbors who supplies us with eggs uh came over to visit the site yesterday and saw everyone running around with wheelbarrows and you know there was a lot of effort happening he said yeah. oh this is how you used to build houses yes yes that's, that's it absolutely yeah, we're putting in the effort we're not substituting effort for for you know high energy uh materials and you know the, the quick and easy ultra produced uh... absolutely and you know now we just give it away we mm. give that knowledge that power that experience all of it that collective energy uh, a way to professionals to builders to you know to the construction industry and we're yeah. totally divorced from it so we don't we have a very different relationship with our house when we're involved in the building of that house the creation of something it's a very different mm. very different relationship and when we do it collectively we're actually, we're building strength in that community. We're building relationship. And sadly, you know, so much these days is so unsustainable. Mm. 
You know, we do so little together. We don't even eat together anymore. No. <laughs> or if we do, we're, we're on our individual phones. Exactly. And... With our takeaway pizza on our lap. I yeah. mean, you know, we're sort of <laughs> losing touch with that very important human, human ingredient in life, which is all about community, connection with each other and also with ourselves. And I think natural, working with natural materials brings us back into that relationship. Yeah. So these uh, panels that uh, were made that you've used to, to create this, this house in... Uh, in Suffolk. Um, they are from EcoCon. Yep. Am I saying that right? You I've are. Never been you sure how to, how to pronounce it. Yes, it's the Lithuanian for EcoCocoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a, yes, it's a, it's a panel system created by a very small company in Lithuania. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, these are the best panels. Yep. Best prefabricated panels I've ever come across. So there's quite a few people creating these yeah, straw straw based panels. Yeah. I think Eco Cocoon are one of the pioneers or mm-hmm. the pioneer really of straw panels. Mm-hmm. And they they're fully tested. Yeah. They have they are certificated kind of up to the hilt and beyond. And they're very beautiful and very efficient. The company has a lot of experience now many hundreds of houses across Europe. Mm-hmm. Um there's minimal materials. Yep. Right. So there's minimal timber, although they're all structurally certificated. Um, it's effectively, you know, just timber in the corners. Mm-hmm. So minimal thermal bridging and then ply top and bottom. And in the larger panels, there'll be some reinforcement in between. It's the straw is from round bales. Okay. So from so the large round up, bales. That's right. And then in factory, this, this straw is then compressed within the panels and strimmed. They're very beautiful. Mm. Uh, they're only 400 wide. They so they're quite manageable then. It's wonderfully manageable. Two people can actually manipulate these relatively easily, although we would use ma- we would use machinery on site mm-hmm. for health and safety and efficiency. Yep. So the one you saw yesterday with your students, this was, um, uh, we, we had one crane. Mm-hmm. These are all craned into position very quickly. And Ihukukum, they, they use this wonderful color coding system. Everything is color coded and numbered. And it's like a 3D jigsaw. Yeah. It goes together so incredibly easily. Just, I would suggest really any carpenters mm-hmm. would be able to put a house together very quickly. Right. Uh, we would come in and train any group who wants to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just kind of, I can't get over how quickly that went up. I just can't get over it. It mm-hmm. just fills me with joy. I've had 20 years of, of you know, having to protect natural <laughs> materials from, from our weather. And this went up so fast. Yeah. You know, just, I'm still smiling when I, when I talk about it. So it's got a, definitely got a future. Um, it's really, uh, I can see it, you know, just go together for schools, for housing mm-hmm. um, associations, for uber busy self-builders, as I say. Ikokokun. Um, one of the reasons I love them as well is it, is their ethos uh-huh. and how they work in the world. So they've created teams across Europe. Uh, so in pretty much every European country, there are a team promoting building with these particular eco-cooking panels. Right. These are not teams built of commercial business people invited. These all come from grassroots straw bale builders with many years' experience of working with straw. Who, Fantastic. Who are only promoting these panels because they are so convinced of the um, the integrity of the panels. Yeah. They're really stunning. They really work. Uh, you can very easily 
get pass a certification of their system, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting system. It's yep. airtight, etc. all the usual passive requirements, by adding six centimeters of wood fiberboard on the exterior, okay. uh, which can then be uh, rendered. We've built up a system that's um, BBA approved in the UK. Okay. So that the whole so it's system, a lime render, presumably. It is a lime render, that's right. And then finished with um, a potassium silicate-based paint. Okay. So these are all BBA approved so that the, gar- the passive certified guarantee that Eco Cocoon provide for that build-up system mm-hmm. uh, is continued with our own uh, preference for lime finishes in this yep. country. And could it be uh, clad as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, it's so far. I think there's uh, there's only three in the UK. Okay. But so watch beginning. this space. <laughs> <laughs> and how many are there around Europe? You said it's yeah, it's several taking... hundred. Several okay. hundred. I mean, for instance, Scandinavia has just gone absolutely, you know, crazy for these buildings. Yeah. Uh, in the last few years, and by that I mean uh, this is cold climate. Scandinavia is more cold climate, obviously, than yeah. we are, and they have major issues. Uh, with black toxic mold growth, mm-hmm. you know, because of plastic sealed houses not breathing, all that usual um, health hazard of yeah. sealed housing. So, interestingly, the eco cooking panels there are sold and promoted uh, for healthy housing. Really? There's, the word straw is not even used. Hang on, I'm just going to send, uh, send my cat away. <laughs> Here comes the site, the building site. Yeah, she's uh... super friendly. <laughs> she's normally on site supervising people's work right? so i guess one thing that people might be a little uh confused about is uh this idea of so we're importing straw from yeah. from lithuania yeah 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 uh i mean that yeah that kind of that goes against uh all this excess yeah. straw in the in absolutely. the uk absolutely good point jeffy absolutely so <laughs> With all this excess straw, why would we think about importing straw from Lithuania? Quite right. You know, all our, all our commitment to local natural materials. Mm. Lithuania is not exactly local. However, as I said earlier, you know, these panels are the best I've come across. Um, I, and I'm really happy to honour all the all the work that EcoCocon have put into this. I mm-hmm. love being part of a European team who work together, support each other uh, in promoting straw generally and these panels in particular. Uh, that's a very powerful model. And um, I, I think, the, you know, the company deserve this support. Yeah. They, in turn, are really happy to support any country in developing our own in-country panels. Right. Through developing factories here. Once we establish a uh, proven evidence base of developing that market effectively yep. so at the moment as i say we've got th- about three uh panel buildings in the uk straw mm-hmm. panel eco cocoon buildings in the uk and once we build it up a bit more eco cocoon are happy to step in and help with um developing factories here great what sort of number is that to you is there a you know if we hit 10 a year then they're they're interested or is it a, I, a sort I think, of quoted I think the, figure definitely the conversation could begin at that point certainly right. certainly I would say we're looking at another two to three years, really. Mm-hmm. And I'm already in conversation with universities yep. about developing um, semi-automated uh, systems to help panel production. Yep. At the moment, the panels are really affordable, mm-hmm. and a lot of that affordability is based on the lower labour cost in Lithuania compared to the UK. So if the manufacturing method currently used in Lithuania 
were to be used here, that would um, that would increase the panel cost. And I'm right. really committed to keeping that cost down and as affordable as possible so that we can try and achieve this um, this carbon reduction construction mm-hmm. at scale. And that's the way, you know, just to keep the cost down and, um, and promote it that way. So we already have the technology in timber cutting. We already have agricultural presses. We already have, you know, we need to bring those together, those systems together in factory over yeah. here just to keep those costs down. Great. We, we have enough straw. <laughs> and that's just wheat, you know. Yeah. That's not even the figures for barley and oats and, and others. And then what is the, the cost for these these panels? Is there a, a per meter? Yeah. Yes, currently, obviously, we are now talking pre-Brexit. Okay, <laughs> yes, so it all so could change. Who knows what, exactly what import duties might be slapped on them. So at the moment, that's €150 Euros per square metre of wall surface area. That's after minusing all the apertures, all the openings. So you deduct the surface area of windows and doors. Okay. So we're literally just talking the wall area. So that's actually incredibly affordable. Yeah. Now you do like for like with other passive systems and you're, you're even with a passive build-up, the costs are incredibly competitive. Yeah. So is there a, an approximate uh, floor area? Because we generally deal in, in floor area, don't we, in terms of cost per square metre? So you mean, in com- you, you, you mean comparative costings for different building types? Yeah. So yeah, when, when people uh, ask us, uh, can you build us a house? Yeah, what's what's your cost per square meter? Is right, the question. right. Is there it's always a, a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. String, etc. Do you want the the shiny yeah. shiny finish, or do you want the, yeah. the rustic? Uh, yeah. So yeah. if it was like for like, shall we say? Yeah. Um, you know, everything's got your B and Q fittings, or 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 your five star fittings, whatever. You know, but like mm-hmm. for like, uh, in the UK currently, if you're going to go cheapest chips. Um, poorest <laughs> mm-hmm. performance, probably minimal insulation, etc. You can probably still build for this is to finish, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the region of about eight to nine hundred per square meter yeah. of floor surface area finished. So let's say a hundred um, square meter house, you're looking yeah. possibly you could you know around about the eight hundred to nine hundred per square meter um, upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no upper average, figure. Not at all. <laughs> the average is in the region, perhaps of um, somewhere twelve to fifteen hundred and upwards. Yeah, and the eco cooking panels are coming in at twelve hundred. So that's finished. That's, well, that's the finished figure. That's yeah. right. You know, that's so your turnkey walk-in. You know, as yeah. a comparable to other building mm-hmm. uh, materials and methods. So, for a passive, you know, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's really cheap. That's really and, cheap. And it's not only, uh, you know, passive to passive. This is healthy passive. This mm-hmm. is breathable passive. This is this is really sustainable materials passive. This is commitment to the environment passive. Yeah. There's a lot. I think one of the, the biggest uh, uh, dislikes of passive houses is generally speaking, not always, but generally, they're quite, they're concrete with uh polystyrene insulation and you know lots and lots of polystyrene insulation um so for this to come out as an uh, an affordable option of natural healthy high performing it's fantastic and hit hit that passive house standard you know for air tightness and for easily yeah it's a wonderful it's a really remarkable system Mm. and the speed of build as i say fills me with joy (laughs) (laughs) we were yeah we tried to do a little calculation last night of what of the house we went to yesterday 
200 square meter, uh, two story. We were trying to work out if we were building it conventionally, sort of, you know, stick frame and straw bale infill, you know, how long would it take? And it was sort of, I think, around the sort of 10, 10 to 16 week uh, <laughs> <laughs> mark was put on it. Um, so, yeah, the, the cost of the panels is, is very much paid for in, in labour. and Yeah, they're a product. You know, it's not like going to the field and picking up your two straw yeah. bale and then, you know, working with that straw uh, individually in each bale to, to build a house together, I mean, which I love. It's a model I love. But this is, this is, even though you're paying for a product, the time you save in mm. the installation of your walls is incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say it's kind of like for like in cost, actually, even though straw is considered to be the cheapest form of yes. a natural building. As you know, it takes resources. It takes time. It mm. takes people. And if you're on a, anything other than a built, self-built site, those people need paying. Yeah. You know, so for two days with a small crew, very small crew, um, I think the figures are in the region of two, two of us to can lay, can fit, install 100 square meters of wall area in a day. That's fantastic. Now, it, I would say it's, it's actually now faster than that yeah. in Ukraine, but that's really fantastic. Um, so that means but, that you can move into your house you know, three well, months sooner. Well, that's right. I mean, we have a relationship with a, um, another company, a UK company, uh, that makes roofing cassettes mm-hmm. in factory, passive certificated, weather protected. So with the same crane that we'd use to install the walls, in half a day we'd get the roof on weather protected. So really you would have a weather protected shell within a matter of days. That's incredible. These panels, which still tick all all the fantastic properties of, of using straw as your primary material. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It's, it's something that we as, as Heartwind have, have been, you know, on the cusp of sort of exploring different options a little bit. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm going to pick your brains a lot more about this. Yeah. And um, add an element, a dimension of eco-cocoon panels to it. Mm. For sure. Have a, you know, experience how incredibly straightforward they are to work with. Yeah. And their particular system of um, supply you know this color coding I mean everything is just so beautifully smooth yeah the whole process we'll be back after a quick break hey there I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat show that's right and I'm Pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends well you're in luck we're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary discuss culture and politics and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews but it's not just about us we're a community Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, you showed a a slideshow yesterday of of them going in, and it was, yeah, very, very beautiful to watch. Very inspiring. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I think so. I think so. After 20 years <laughs> of battling with tarpaulins, etc., you know, speed of build is, a, is, a, is something that we should embrace on this island for that all natural materials, I think. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about your background, if, right. if we may. Um, so I've always known you as a straw builder um, from Amazon Nails and Straw Build. Um, but just uh, last week at Clayfest... You, you introduced yourself, um, well, you, you started off as an engineer, is that right? No. 
No. <laughs> did I? <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. I didn't start off with that. I did, okay. I did become. Yeah. So right. yeah, I'm not. Interestingly, in uh, I I do put myself forward in introductory groups I'm working with. As, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not formally trained. Uh huh. In construction, and that surprises a lot of people. And as you know, on natural building sites, a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Is a, today, here we are, 2019, there's still only 1% of women on the trades in construction, which yeah. is, that was the same figure in back in the 1980s when I first started in, uh, constru- in um, engineering. Yeah. Quite shocking. Quite shocking. I can I still hardly believe that that has hardly changed. Mm. The professional level has changed. A lot more women in architectural level and engineering level, but on the, on the tools, there's only yeah. 1%. But on a natural building site, is what, 50% or more? I don't know how many, you know, what your percentage is on this site. We make it 50. You do, so. that's your policy. Yeah, okay. but it's actually, interestingly, it's usually harder to fill the male spots than it is the female. Right. We're slightly oversubscribed right. on the females. So there's always this conversation, why are women drawn to natural building? Mm. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of really good reasons, and I won't go into them. <laughs> you know, we can have a, a different conversation about that. And we always thought in Amazon Nails, one of the reasons, one of the many, was we were role models, yep. you know, as, as women. And so I enjoy saying to women, look, you know, I haven't had construction formal education. And yet, look, you know, this is, if mm-hmm. I can do this, you can do this. So I do enjoy that. Uh, my background, however, many years ago was pottery. I do right, okay. some ceramics, which I still, actually, I'm still very drawn to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to some extent creating a vessel yeah and then creating or sculpting a house you know it's very similar and mm-hmm. yet very different because you're doing it with a bunch of people and it so that really i just loved that very easy uh connection yeah with creating and sculpting and ah oh, what my background i ended up in um africa for a year when right. i was uh 19 and that's i came in close contact with Rondavels, crawls right. and rondavels. This is uh, the Rondavels. traditional, yeah, traditional round, wattle, effectively wattle and daub houses okay. and thatched roofs. And I loved them. I just loved the sensation, the feeling, the very different feeling of being on an earthen floor mm. in an earthen building. And that's always stayed with me. I, might, I think my background generally, I did peace studies at, at Bradford University okay. uh, many, many, many years ago, very early days of. And within that, I became very involved in women's politics. Uh-huh. Um, set up Women's Centre and Rape Crisis and uh, Women's Health Group. So my whole background has been very much involved in collectives and cooperatives. I've always worked in collectives and co-ops. We're committed to that way of working. Mm-hmm. And for various reasons, I ended up in a legal uh, practice right. and trained in um, in law. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the last legal co-op okay. in, in the country, in Leeds. And I was there for a number of years. So straw when i came across straw bale building it kind of brought together everything i was really interested in mm. which was the the fun collective sculpting shaping of something the equality base because yep. this law practice i was involved in um we we practiced equality we had parity of decision making and pay and we were politically uh very committed to those who did not have voice mm-hmm. um this this was like people who didn't have a voice in building and construction or shelter to actually come together and learn 
skills that really like myself we didn't have access to yeah but prior to going into law i had trained as an engineer uh in auto engineering okay so i'd been through that whole process of training as the only woman yeah so i was well aware of what's called a hostile environment mm. um, and blokes who are trained in that environment continue their training in that environment we didn't even have a women's toilet right when i was first training yes <laughs> you know it's really so so I kind of know this, the situation firsthand mm. for, for women in a construction. So I know how difficult it is or can be on a male, predominantly male building site yeah. in this country. It's changing slowly, but not fast enough. It's an entirely different world in the natural building world. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you actually uh, work as a an auto mechanic? Oh, yeah. Oh, auto yeah. mechanic, is that the right term? Engineer? Auto engineer. Yeah, mechanic. Yes, definitely. Um, we I worked in um, Sheffield. Okay. We had a women's garage called oh, Gwen, Gwenda's Garage, and it was named after Gwenda Stewart, racing driver uh-huh. in the twenties. And there was a bunch of women. We it was really fantastic fun, mm-hmm. really great, and we found you know a lot of women. Um, felt very patronized going to conventional garages and we didn't just have a load of women come to us we had a load of guys come as well they, they we were very successful mm-hmm. and we tried setting up a similar one in bradford yeah um because i was living in bradford i didn't particularly want to move to sheffield we a lot of um, back and forth ended up working for bradford college and uh training different groups of people training training women training um unemployed mm-hmm. and different different bodies of people in car mechanics and then MOT tester with Keekley and Silsden worked in a mainstream garage there at the same time as I was teaching so yeah quite a lot of practice (laughs) I got the scars to prove it yeah and this was it was challenging but I just really I think I just loved the learning yeah I'll tell you how I started, actually. It was in the 80s with positive uh, positive action courses for, for people, minorities in, in traditional skills. So there might be funding for men to learn hairdressing, right? funding for women to learn how to change your oil in your car, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about engines. I went to an evening class for six weeks for women. Yeah. Look, I would never have gone to a mainstream class. I felt so, you know, I didn't even know how to pick up, you know, a, a, a ratchet set. So this was incredible in that I just had a light bulb moment. This fantastic guy, Arthur Lewin, <laughs> he believed anybody could do this, including women, you know, and I, I that just been suddenly saw how an engine worked. It yeah. was like so exciting. So that's, that was my beginnings, you know, just realizing that even though I hadn't been taught that I could do this, totally mm-hmm. not. <laughs> Absolutely not. My background did not encourage that at all. I had no role models. Uh, I just got so excited, and that that took me along that path. Now, the same thing happens in construction. Yeah. We're so not taught as women, I can only speak as a woman here, but um, to believe we can do this, it's not in our education. So the excitement to suddenly start to understand how a building is put together, the impact of our materials choices, not just for the life of that building and the health of us within that building, Mm -hmm. but on the environment, you know, the fact that we can actually, as part of that construction process, be part of something called a solution. Yeah. You know, not just environmentally, but this, everything I've been talking about in terms of community, reconnection with each other, 
with our choices, with ourselves. It's very, very powerful. It's very exciting. And I, I just love that whole cauldron of possibility. Um, and so how did you get into straw? Where did that come from? Yeah. How does one go from a, <laughs> a mechanic through a law training into, into strawberry building? Good yeah. Question. So there I was in my little boring grey suit <laughs> with my little briefcase commuting between Leeds and by then I was in uh, Todmorden mm-hmm. back and forth <laughs> and we'd had a lot of political changes in terms of legal aid uh-huh. and availability of legal aid so our law firm was actually really affected and we were working longer and longer hours to try to sustain ourselves and it got to the point really with something called block contracting and franchising system where which favoured the big boys, the really right. big boys. We were a small um, co-op and decided eventually to pull the plug. And around about that time, uh, I went to a talk by Barbara Jones, mm-hmm. who I ended up working with in Todmorden Town Hall. <laughs> She'd just come back from Winston Churchill Fellowship uh-huh. uh, trip in the States uh, to research strawberry building. And that was it, really. That was my light bulb moment. It was one of those I just saw. It just... Some people, all we have to do is see this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't even touching it. it was just, these were pictures, and I, I had that light bulb moment. It was just, it just ticked all those boxes I already talked about. I could see the creativity, the fun, the community, the connection, the environmental, the getting your hands on clay it, again. It, oh, and the clay plastic. Absolutely, <laughs> that's the sculpting, yeah. you know, the whole, and doing it together with a group of people. I just went, oh wow, you know. So from there on, actually, this is before we decided to pull the plug. But from there on, I, I got very involved in. Um, supporting the whole kind of straw movement which is very young in the uk there we set we set up a bailing out which was the oh, first right. newsletter yeah uh, supporting straw we party to setting up the first association actually sbba wise wise wales scotland and england a long time ago but I, I took on the uh <laughs> the challenge of that one to create SBUK. You did. Many, many years later. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. No, that's so, yeah, so very, very early, early days in the UK. And for me, the, it was like a, it's a skills transition, if you like, in, mm-hmm. from mechanics into, uh, into construction. Yeah. And that's, that's through working with Amazon Elder. And my, all my experience was on site. So I learned literally on, on the job, so to speak, and yep. then moved. I already had experience of training others in mechanics. So moving into training what I was learning, you know, it's a very fast, steep curve. When we, when we finished uh, at the law firm, mm-hmm. uh, that was 2000, yep. January 2000. I was 40 that year. People say life, life begins at 40. And at that point, although I'd already had about five years of my holidays and you know my downtime doing uh, site work and learning I just I went straight from finishing that uh, law job to uh, working in Mongolia on a a very large uh, health clinic small hospital in the middle of this incredible country uh, for for Rally uh, International and which is a relationship between the Mongolian government uh, poverty alleviation program and uh, energy efficiency mm-hmm. program and the UNDP at the end of that well it was for the UNDP as well they they did research and figured that they, they discovered that this was 80% more efficient than any other building in the methodology in uh, 80% in yeah 
Absolutely. Crikey. And of course, Mongolia is extreme climate. Mm -hmm. Super cold in the winters and extremely hot summers. So it's perfect, perfect material for that. So I found myself stood on the steps in (laughs) Mongolia, not in my boring little grey suit, and you know, waiting for a train that just didn't arrive. (laughs) Those days. Um, Instead, looking out, I called it the edge of the world. It was incredible. And it's like, wow, here I am, 40. Life really does change at 40. This is absolutely astonishing and and beautiful. And we slaked our own lime. And, you know, it was absolutely, it was a really great community experience. And the whole community involved, really wonderful. So, you know, that that was my first real experience uh, of full community engagement and real use, real function. You know, this offered something Mm -hmm. fabulous for the community who were, you know, even in Mongolia, we're suffering. All that open skies were suffering from health problems, from burning right. very high sulfur coal. Oh, wow. For, to, to keep warm. You know, it's very, uh, very noxious. Mm-hmm. Um, same in China. I've been, you know, lucky enough to see the work of Kelly Lerner in China, where instead of burning coal, very, very toxic coal daily to mm-hmm. keep warm in extreme northeastern China temperatures, they're just burning some agricultural waste once every two weeks just to keep the temperature. Yeah. It's just what this offers, this technology, is just what we're doing with straw. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. We're working with effectively a waste material, you know, that offers so much. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you had a Judith Thornton talking mm. earlier on the blog. Yeah, she'd be very upset to hear you call it a waste material. Well, we're not allowed to. It's a co-product, it's a byproduct, etc. Yeah. But in many countries, it is considered a waste material. It is still burnt. Uh-huh. You know, the awareness of this as a building material is not yet there. Mm-hmm. It still happens. I'm with Judith. It is definitely not a waste yeah. material. This is a real building product. <laughs> <clears throat> but I work with Judith on the Miscanthus build. Oh, excellent. Yeah, if, if people haven't listened to that podcast, they should go and Definitely. Listen. That's really interesting because that's a different kind of... Uh, uh, fiber mm. and that has that's a lot of that's very interesting miscanthus so we tested that because uh, I, I work on the cat uh, short courses so we mm-hmm. tested that the previous year as a building material uh, assessed it really and then used it in, in Seth Robinson's house yep. last year and it's uh, I'm really interested in all the research that Judith's going to be conducting on it mm-hmm. um, but it, it worked didn't it it was yeah. it definitely worked I, it definitely worked I, I, do, I do truly believe that whatever straw you have available mm. use it you know whatever you've got local to you you can use you've got the properties of hollow stem for insulation as long as it's dried you can keep the seed heads out this could even be um, local grasses perennial grasses that might have no other use mm-hmm. you know, it's something you can bale that will perform. I mean, really, I was talking yesterday with Lil about she has 36 fleeces. She doesn't want to, you know, people burn fleeces. Yeah. Or they leave them to rot in the pile. Mm-hmm. Bale them. <laughs> <laughs> Build with bale fleeces, you know. Oh. What have we got locally? What, what can we use to, which will, what will, what will offer us? Yeah. The thermal performance we want, the durability, the structural strength, you know. I saw a fascinating talk. I think it was at one of the Earth Building conferences. And it was a chap who uh, was trying to make plaster, a, a natural plaster, from his local ingredients. And he started at five metres. And he sort of scratched around, couldn't, you know, didn't really have any clay, didn't have any sand. You know, the first thing he put on the wall fell off. So he went to uh, 50 metres. And within that... 50 metres of what? 50, so as a sort of... Uh, from his house. So, oh, oh, you know, right. drawing so, a circle oh, on a oh, map. trying different soil. Yeah. 
trying different soil, but also oh, finding out and what different it different depths. You need to try out different depths well, of subsoil. Really. One of the interesting things he found was that at 50 metres, there was a Starbucks who were chucking away coffee grounds. Oh, yeah. So he oh, went in there oh, and suddenly he had great. this great aggregate that was uh, well graded. And, you know, suddenly, you know, at 50 metres, he was able to make a working plaster. And at, you know, a sort of 100 metres, he got to something a bit better and a bit better. Um, it was really fascinating to see how how localised he was looking and, and what he would consider as, as a new material. Absolutely beautiful. This is how this is how everybody worked. What was like, what was on their doorstep? What was around them? Yeah, you know, or what was around us? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love it. That's the challenge, isn't it? Maybe that's one of your courses. Mm. Maybe that's one of your builds you can do. It's like set the students right. Okay, sort of a foraging work slash within building. work within a, a radius. Somebody I can't remember who it was. Uh, Gandhi, I think, did say, "Well, what is the definition of local?" Mm-hmm. And I think he defined it as seven miles or seven kilometers. I, right, uh, seven miles. I think. Why he, I don't know why, you know, he picked on that. You don't have to record this bit, but that is really interesting. Um, so you could set that as one of your uh, tasks, couldn't it? To yeah. research what, what materials are available locally. It's harder and harder, I think, unless in this part of the world. Mm. But still, what is local? We can learn so much from vernacular mm. building traditions. You know, like, you just look at a few houses pre-cement. Yeah. Look at their foundation systems. Ask old builders, what are the foundations you come across in this area, wherever mm-hmm. you're building, before cement? And you'll invariably hear that they're very simple. Yeah. People knew how to build. They knew how to build on their particular ground, in their particular uh, climate location we can we can look we can learn those that are still standing yeah they have a, they have something to tell us they really do now obviously we have the benefit now we can actually increase their thermal performance absolutely but what about their durability mm. pre-cement what's going on there you know and lime of course was is a major that was our major building material and this was passed down generation to generation. You know, everybody would have their lime pits, mm-hmm. store their lime putty as their major binder for all building materials. Um, so obviously, as you know, straw bale builders, we've used that wonderful relationship with lime. Yeah. External renders, lime-based, and then internal clay plasters. And these days, I'm, I'm loving bringing together this relationship between the two materials, lime and clay, in, for various uses. Yeah. So you've been uh, using this this abroad, the, the lime and clay combining. Yeah. So it started in 2012. Okay. When um, post-flood in Pakistan. So 2010, 11, 12 saw absolutely biblical levels of flooding. Right. Uh, really extraordinary. Stuff we can hardly imagine here. Yeah. Over that period of time, 30 million people were affected. 30 Crikey. million people. We can't even conceive of that. That's half the population yeah. of the UK. It's absolutely extraordinary. And this is just in southern Pakistan, right. the province of Sindh. Um, earth building is the predominant building method and material. Millions of earth building houses. It stood for really a long time. Why yeah. wouldn't they? Earth is a fantastic um, building material, but it's not designed to stand in standing water in flood. Right. And so these a lot houses of this, were... Well, a lot of this flood water would be standing for, if not weeks, months. Crikey. Some a foot high, some three foot, some four foot, some eight foot high. Buildings will dissolve. Mm. Both buildings will dissolve, and they did. So this left 
people, I have to say, who were extremely poor to start with. Yeah. Seriously, seriously impacted. I was just, it was a situation, just desperation, and it, re- it recurred again and again. And it is unfortunately likely to occur again. Because of, well, of climate? Sindh, yeah, Sindh is uh, currently seventh. It's the seventh most vulnerable right. country to climate change. Uh, for lots of reasons, but we all know that flooding is uh, is one of the results of this climate catastrophe mm-hmm. that we are all responsible for, and it's happening more and more. Its prevalence is, is seen everywhere. Yeah, and in those areas where earth building is the traditional method, they're very very vulnerable mm-hmm. to flood, and it's usually the poorest people who are going to be fir- affected first. Yes. What I call magic mud, (laughs) what I've come to call magic mud, is if the right proportion of lime Mm -hmm. is added to a clay content soil, one can stabilize that soil against dissolving in water. Okay, so you're saying stabilizing means that it's it's no longer... Stabilize against dissolving in water, which is actually so exciting. Mm. So exciting. Because we're still now in that realm of local, natural, affordable materials. Now, Sin does produce a lot of lime. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's actually used for the sugar industry. Sugar. But to be honest, limestone is the seventh most common material on the planet. So right. it's available pretty much anywhere. And those of who know a little bit about lime, there's, um, there's a difference in strengths of lime in terms of its ability to set underwater or not. Mm-hmm. The most common form of lime is, is the lime actually that doesn't set underwater. And that's called what's called non-hydraulic lime. Mm-hmm meaning it doesn't set under water. It sets with the air. Yep. It takes the carbon out of the air, the carbon dioxide out of the air to help it set. And that gives it a wonderful carbon-neutral cycle, by the way, very unlike cement, which is very, very heavy, intensive carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. So lime we like. <laughs> <laughs> but Pakistan, southern Pakistan, has this non-hydraulic lime. It doesn't have what we call a natural hydraulic lime, okay. which is something that will set underwater. So then we have to make that non-hydraulic lime work mm-hmm. underwater. And that's where we use the, all the minerals in a raw clay to work with the lime. Uh-huh. So with that, I'm trying really hard here not to go into science. Yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, They're very big materials. Uh, sorry, subjects. The lime subject is huge. The yeah. clay subject is huge. Putting them together is huge. And then trying to simplify all of that into something that will work for anybody on the planet anywhere. Mm-hmm. Very simple field tests. Has, was our challenge. And yeah. uh, myself, my colleagues, staff at Homes, we, we feel like we've, we've actually managed to do that um, through a lot of um, illustrations, mm-hmm. from, um, fantastic illustrations from our friend Juliet Breeze, for villagers who are illiterate. Yep. Um, so, as you know, pictorially, that speaks to everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's a very simple system of field tests. So field test your soil, my soil, every soil is different. Does it have a clay content? If it does, how much clay is yeah. in that? And then uh, working with lime, local lime, safely, how to work with that lime. And working out how much, through very simple field tests again, how much of that lime is required to stabilize that soil. You have to do the tests. Yeah. You, you can't guess. If, if we're talking about a house here, you must do the tests. The tests are very, very straightforward. And then we allow those um, samples, the trial mix samples, to uh, to sit for 28 days. Right. This is where they have to uh, 
uh, cure, mm-hmm. effectively. That's keeping them slightly damp and keeping them shaded. And then after that, we can submerge them in water. We can subject them to dry compressive strength testing, wet compressive strength testing. We can subject them to wet compressive strength testing after two weeks, a month, two months. We've got samples that are underwater now for well over two years, three years. Still really strong in compressive strength. Fantastic. Not dissolved. Absolutely fantastic. So each village would do their own tests. Uh, We would we had a system of working with engineers from the best NGO. I mean, most extraordinary NGO I've ever come across. Wonderful. Called Hands. Okay. How's that spelled? H-A-N-D-S, it's Health and Nutrition Development Society. They Uh have nothing to do with disaster uh, resilience or recovery up until the floods when all the 30,000 villages and Zind were flooded and they Mm -hmm. they literally had to learn uh, the whole kind of disaster, humanitarian disaster situation. But they do it very differently to the big boys. Mm -hmm. It's all about relationship with those communities. It is not top down. It's absolutely working with the communities. You know, big, big salute to hands. Yeah. Who And they're the people that introduced us. They got us involved to try and help work with natural, local, affordable materials for these people. Mm-hmm. So that they didn't have to do what the big boys were doing at that time, which was bringing in, you know, concrete blocks, cement and sand renders and mortars. Yeah. They didn't want to do this. So this is really fantastic. And um, currently... Well, we worked with their engineers and then we ended up working with the engineers of different um, humanitarian organizations over there. Those engineers would go into villages and train uh, local masons and villagers. And that pattern continues. The designs are disaster resilient for earthquake as well. Um, But what we're looking at here is really exciting. The whole foundations Mm. are of lime stabilized soil. There is not a drop of concrete anywhere, cement-based concrete anywhere. It's lime concrete. The plinth walling, the blocks, the mortars, the internal plaster where needed, Mm -hmm. all the external render coats, the subfloors, the floor screeds, finishes, and roof screed. Everything is lime-stabilized soil. Fantastic. It's really, and this is all tested for their particular soils. Yeah. And women have said to me, in villages, they really, really wanted their children to learn this technique because they don't want their children to have to do what they've had to do, which is to rebuild their house three times in three mm. years. And what was really moving is to see women redecorating their houses externally with lime washes and beautiful decoration again. Yeah. They'd stopped doing this because they'd lost what's faith the point? in yeah. their houses. So this material is monsoon resilient as well. They yeah. don't wash off in the monsoons. And Inshallah, it will not, you know, it, it certainly won't fall down in the floods. And to date, because it's continuing, um, there's about 200,000 really? lime-stabilized soil houses, as I understand it. So is that you've, you've trained up a we've, certain amount of people and they've gone off and yes, trained? Yes, we've trained up a set of engineers for HANDS, for IOM, for ACTED. Um, they, in turn, go out and train masons and villagers. Um, I was out again in December and January this year. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I'm just so moved by their wonderful, incredible work. It's quite extraordinary. People taking such ownership and such joy in their houses that they now re-believe in. And this yeah. is all local materials. Clusters of villages or each village has their own lime slaking and settlement tank. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. They all know how to handle lime safely. Yep. They all know how to test the quality of it before they buy it. And they slake it to lime putty. They know how to keep it. Women were showing me the, the lime settlement tanks, opening them up because they kept under cover and the 
inch of water over them, yeah. bringing out the putty and showing me the quality with great pride. Of course, this is yeah. super moving. This is absolutely wonderful. You know, so that that is a technology that is accessible to everybody. It's old technology. Mm. It's not new. You know, the only things left standing that we saw way back in 2012 uh, in whole tracts of land were the old shrines. Right. And, uh, and mosques that had been built with lime. You know, everything else had gone. You know, it's really, the devastation was extraordinary. So lime has a fantastic tradition in Pakistan. Yeah. And we have found samples of lime and soil, so stabilised, that are in the region 700 years old. Right. Outside and um, Mukli, which is a, a huge um, graveyard with beautiful old um, architecture. Uh-huh. We've had some really old samples there. We found samples pretty much everywhere. You know, this is very old. It's lovely to be able, able to call on that old vernacular. Yeah. So it's not introducing it's or just, even reintroducing. It's refinding. It's mm. rediscovery and um, helping people rediscover that themselves and take ownership of their heritage. Is there an idea of why it's sort of been forgotten? Or yeah. is it? It's called OPC. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. You look around the world, you know, it's uh, concrete is taking, you know, Portland cement-based concrete yeah. taken taken over. And this, as you know, has a very, very high carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have for many, many years tried to avoid um, using cement in any of our buildings. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit real policy with Amazon Nails, who uh, that was my first straw bale uh, experience uh, uh-huh. working with uh, with a, a great commitment to local natural materials and cement-free as much as possible. Portland cement has a carbon footprint of, it kicks out um, 1.25 tonnes of carbon emissions for one tonne produced. Yep. Effectively, cement factories are, are CO2 emission factories where cement is the byproduct. Yeah. They create more emission than they do product. Whereas lime, the lime cycle, can be carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the, the lime cycle is carbon neutral, but not the energy that's put into... Well, that's very interesting because the energy, traditionally, like in Pakistan, it's what's called faggot. So it's just brushwood. Right. Around, but, you know, over here we might use coal mm-hmm. still. We might use timber. We are currently working, myself and Stafford are now working with a community in Portugal called Tamero. They okay. had a, uh, a technical team there. Mm-hmm. And we've been, I've been partnering them for a number of years now in something called the Blueprint Alliance. Okay. So we're committed to um, models of re- regenerative resilience for communities uh, worldwide. And it brings together every component, really, of, uh, of regeneration and resilience. So it's energy, water, natural buildings, um, etc. So one of the things Tamara has developed is this amazingly affordable and accessible um, solar system, Okay. which we are now using. We're just going out now later this summer to design solar kilns for burning, really? for, for burning lime at community level. So we're not talking about high tech here. Yeah. We're, working, we're talking about building the kilns with local materials. Mm-hmm and testing them at Tamera, and also biogas. We're using the biogas system there to mm-hmm. develop a biogas kiln. So this carbon zero cycle with lime, we really, really want to be carbon, yeah. carbon um, neutral, Def- you know, completely, which would be fantastic, and in the hands of local communities. So that's very exciting. Um, together with unfired clay, you're then turning non-hydraulic lime, which, as I say, is much more common 
more commonly found than yeah. the hydraulics. If you need to, to work with water, you can turn it into that hydraulic line just by using the the minerals in the raw clay because how they react with the with the with the lime is mm-hmm. really is I call it magic mud. Yeah. Really, but you have to you know you just simply have to find the right ratio. You have to find mm-hmm. the right recipe for your soil, which will be different to the recipe for my soil. Yes. This Everyone wants it's just the simple the recipe, field test because yeah. you can put too much lime in and it won't be stabilized. Mm-hmm. Too little lime, it won't be stabilized. You just have to modify if you need to. You just need to find that that right proportion of lime, and it's usually very very low. Is that information available somewhere? Uh, well, we're just about to produce a book. Oh, that's handy. <laughs> and, and you didn't know that. I you genuinely didn't, didn't, didn't know. that. I didn't say a word about it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, coming out with practical action within the next couple of months. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Yeah, so it's all we want it to be. <laughs> we want it to be out there uh, as accessible as possible, mm-hmm. you know, because we truly believe we've seen the impact of this this incredibly simple technology. Well, it's not simple. Do you know what I mean? It's but you, we it's sort of make sim- it. It's very workable. clever, but you very can simple, make isn't it. it. People, I mean, we're you know, two hundred thousand houses in Pakistan. These are villagers who definitely do not speak English. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of whom are illiterate, who have taken ownership of this material and this system. They. You know, we're talking entrepreneurs here. These are people who are going on and building. They're making blocks, lime-stabilized blocks, and selling them onwards. Right. Because burnt brick comes in two classes in Pakistan. Class A, which is seven rupees a a brick, and class B, which is slightly inferior quality, Mm -hmm. and it's six rupees a brick. Now, you put a a, a six-rupee burnt brick, mind, right? It's fired in a bucket of water, and after three days, it will start. Slowly, slowly, but it will start to dissolve and you right. can see this happen. Obviously, you put a mud brick, even though it's really strong in dry compressive strength, into a bucket of water, that's going to dissolve mm-hmm. probably within half an hour. You put a lime-stabilized soil in a bucket of water, that community can watch that for a month, two months, yeah. and go, okay, I'm having one of those. You know, so <laughs> really, you know, this is, this is really, it's, it offers a lot, um, a lot of potential and a lot of um, empowerment. Yeah. And in Nepal, we've been putting that technology together with the earthquake resilience that straw bale building, straw offers. So I've been working with, well, straw builders have been working with um, Builders Without Borders mm-hmm. uh, last year in Nepal to build Nepal's first straw bale house. Okay. Uh, which is just, it's a beautiful community. Uh, it's called the Kevin Rowan Memorial Eco Foundation, just south of Kathmandu. Okay. Again, anybody going to Nepal, please go visit them. You know, they're, they're just extraordinary uh, community with a lot of different um, earth building examples. And they've just been building 12 houses for earthquake resilience for the really those affected villages from the 2015 earthquake. Right. Uh, superb community. Go visit them. And that's where the first straw well house is. Um, so that's bringing the earthquake resilience. Mm-hmm. We all know how wonderful that is. Those of you who don't. Have a look at the PAC-SPAB shake test Mm -hmm. for straw bale, which Darcy Donovan conducted in the States, I think in 2014. I'll uh, I'll put a link to that on the blog. Absolutely wonderful. And it still still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It just shows categorically that straw, how straw performs in a real house in a very strong earthquake situation. Mm. Uh, You saw this last evening. Yeah, it's twice the the strength of... Of the biggest it was a very, was very fantastic. Yeah, it was a very strong test. Mm. Um, I think um, gravitational forces beyond those that uh, of the strongest earthquake at that time. Yeah, even to date, in fact, and it's it's just so moving. 
the worst that happened is the plaster cracks. Yeah. Nothing fell down. And as we know, even if straw were to fall down, it's a lightweight material. It's not going to kill anybody. It's mm-hmm. very, very moving. Um, so bringing that technology to a, a seismic area together with the monsoon resilient lime stabilized soil, local soil uh, renders. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You know, and if, uh, if you're likely to be in any running water, flood water, then for sure one can use the flood resilient uh, lime stabilized soil. And is straw available? For, for all the other elements. Um, in Nepal, mm. absolutely. Rice is uh, a staple. Right. There's a lot of different straw available. Uh-huh. Obviously, you've got a different um, terrain, you've got a lot of terracing. It's usually lower down in the terraces where mm-hmm. straw is available. In fact, people were selling straw okay. around Kathmandu for mushroom growing. There is a question mark around well, if people use straw, unlike in some parts of the world where it's burnt still, mm-hmm. they use straw for cattle. It's a one-off investment of using your straw to build an earthquake-resilient building. And yeah. thereafter, you know, you can return to feeding your cattle. Um, who knows where this will take off? They, they, we're still trying with um, Martin Hammer of Builders Without Borders to get the material approved by the Nepali government mm-hmm. as a, an approved material and, and methodology for, for earthquake resilience, as well as lime-stabilized soil. So working with different um, organizations in Nepal to have lime-stabilized soil accepted by, um, by the government, again, as uh, an approved uh, material and method having said that it is being used yeah um, unesco world heritage have just approved uh, lime stabilized soil for temple uh, rebuilding in uh, in Kathmandu, which is really Excellent. really exciting and we've been also working with um <laughs> with bodies in in uh, Kathmandu for who work with lime already mm-hmm. in terms of like proper lime use for for temple repair because there's been so much devastation of temples and there's been a decree to use lime mm-hmm. where earth might have been used as mortars. Okay. And the knowledge, the lime knowledge by everybody having to use lime without any real kind of training mm-hmm. is, has sadly resulted in some uh, improper use. Right. Which eventually may really impact you know the, the faith in lime so mm-hmm. that, that's we've been trying to give a hand to it. well how can people find out more what are the what are the ways uh your website uh what are the, the sort of things that people can drill down into and, and get more info yeah sure okay so our website definitely needs um, updating <laughs> <laughs> don't they all don't they all uh so in terms of the panels definitely one can go to ecococon yep and there's mm-hmm. a whole translation in English. Yeah. There's a little bit on our website, which is strawbuild.org. And for the Lime Stabilized Soil, as I say, this book will be coming out. And I'm really hoping to put something on our website about this because it is, as I say, magic mud. The whole thing is magic. Mm -hmm. The fusion of these materials together with straw uh, for earthquake resilience and then the Lime Stabilized Soil for flood and monsoon resilience. To me, this you've got the really a great disaster resilient Mm -hmm. methodology there, which is all local natural affordable materials absolutely it's just so so exciting you know to have that in the in the hands of people who do not then have to rely on outside aid yeah uh the cement industry (laughs) you know etc so uh this is this is although radical 
it is it's that link with with our heritage which yeah. i love you know and it's just understanding materials understanding how they perform and, and actually getting the best performance and durability out of them it's a very very exciting time to be involved in natural building and play a part in 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 what we all need to be much more aware of is the climate catastrophe which is on our doorstep yes right now it's you know. it's already yes. happening it's oh, we can we can do something about this mm-hmm. we can Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in and chatting to me on this slightly windy but uh, <laughs> glorious morning. Very glorious. Oh, thanks, um, Jeffrey. It's lovely, lovely to see what you're all up to here. And um, you're all part of that movement of solutions. We're doing what we can, I guess. Um, yeah, and do please come back and, uh, and test our soil and, and tell us Let's how much it. lime we, we should put in it. Let's do it. No, I won't tell you anything. You'll do it yourselves. We'll, <laughs> we'll do it together. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks very much. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Great. Welcome back. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Uh, I'm not allowed to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought it was... uh, Really interesting. It's always great catching up with B. I particularly liked visiting uh, her site mm. near um, when we went there to see the EcoCon. I've seen the panels in kind of an eco build or trade shows, and mm. I've read a bit about them, but I've never actually kind of seen anything made with them. So being able to put that whole, you know, the how fast it went together compared to seeing the structure, it's uh, incredibly impressive. Yeah, and flat as well. Yeah, I think the amount, I mean, the amount of time saved isn't just in the building; it's in the plastering as well. And then uh, bees had a fascinating career, didn't she? Absolutely, yeah. The uh, yeah, really interesting coming through. What say mechanical engineering, lawyering, essentially <laughs> advocating. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, fab. I thought it was really interesting, the fact that she'd got no formal training um, as well. I think that's uh, something I hear quite often. Well, it's not like there's a lot of uh, opportunities no. for, for training in a natural building. In fact, no, but... I know she does have one qualification, which I think is the same one as you, which is rammed earth. Right, yeah. Uh, I have no formal qualifications. I've got apprenticeships and... Yeah, sure. But nothing that's like a little bit of paper. Yeah. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to this conversation. I am absolutely shattered. 
Yeah, well, I think she said everything, didn't she? Uh, great. Well, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Um, thank you, listeners. Uh, do drop us any uh, comments or or um, ideas for people to talk to. Yep. Um, and we will be back next month with a fantastic, probably my favourite interview so far. Exciting times. Yeah. And that's not a slight on any of the previous ones. We just keep <laughs> ramping it up. Yeah, it's, it's uh, always getting better. Yeah, and do check the uh, the sleeve notes for this podcast for lots of exciting links to the stuff that we've been talking about. Oh, that means I have to do sleeve notes. <laughs> well, you, you already said you were going to do it in B's mm. bit. <laughs> that's fine. No, that's fine. I like it. Uh, good. Well, um, yes, until next time. Bye. See you, bye.